recording in progress. I'm going to say it. This is our 86th episode, I believe. Number 86. Not far from our 100th birthday. Well, not far. I mean, it's going to be a while. It's every couple of weeks, but we're getting there. We're getting I know. there. I know, but it's it's strange when I mention that I do a podcast to my colleagues at work and then all of a sudden they say, oh, how long have you been doing that? And it's like, since, since <laughs> lockdown and, and we're still going 86 episodes in now. It's like cra- crazy when you think about it, but actually I've really enjoyed it. I got a message from one of my friends who I'm not in touch with as much as I'd like to be because he... He lives over in New York. He sent me a message the other day. Do love your podcast. So cool to hear you blathering away. <laughs> Which no, it, I think funny. it was an endearing uh, comment, but I thought, oh, that's nice. It's good to hear. If um, you can hear the the barking in the background is Willow. I'm sorry. She's she's had her feed and now she wants to go out for a walk. <laughs> so or, if you hear it, that's what it is. Or maybe she's just desperately waiting for the quiz. And that, you know, that's, no, the, that's what the it's quiz. All about. But do we get to the quiz first or do we want to talk about what we've watched? <laughs> well, you can talk about what you watched because I don't think that, I, I don't think I've watched any <laughs> films. I watched the David Beckham documentary, but I'm I not bet, sure whether yeah. I'd already spoken about that. But no, I don't think I've seen any movies apart from those we're going to review. Yeah, the, I, I have watched Equalizer 3, which I know that you watched uh, recently. So Denzel Washington taking the law into his own hands, I would say. Um, you should watch the other two, because I think this is far more violent than one and two. So you must watch the other two, and unless you like the violence. And you're gonna well, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> I, I, maybe, maybe I like the violence. I'm not sure that's a good thing or a bad thing. You're a John Wick fan, aren't you? As no, well, I'm imagine. not, actually. No, uh, to be fair. Actually, someone in the office did say that the earlier ones don't have as much violence. And and I think that might appeal to me more if it's more of a kind of an exploration mm. of the character. I think that could be good. <laughs> and then um, Hunger Games, been watching the series of that with Jennifer Lawrence, Liam uh, Hensworth, Elizabeth Banks, who I always, always get confused with Rachel McAdams for some reason, but Elizabeth Banks and Woody Harrelson. And then I Am Legend, I watched that earlier today with Will Smith. I always love watching that. It's It's very short. I think the special effects are a little not as up to date today, but still, it's it's a good zombie apocalypse movie, I think. And it's very short, as I said, unlike some of the movies we have watched this week. <laughs> anyway, should we go on to the quiz then? Why not? Let's do it. What do you think the quiz is going to be on? I mean, it's got to be Scorsese or DiCaprio or a combination of the both or, or something like that. And De Niro, yes. Exactly. And De Niro. So, oh, is it so all three? About all three, It's is it? all three. Okay. So, ding, ding. Four's the record. No, we haven't beaten four yet. You got four, four. last week. I got week, four last week, yes. Which is a very high some score. Some of these aren't, I'm going to be honest, some of these may not be so easy. Oh. But let's see how you get, okay. how well you know your Scorsese, DiCaprio and De Niro. So, how many films, oh, I right. knew this is going to come up, yeah. have Robert De Niro, Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese done together? I don't know this one. Because I know how many Scorsese's done with DiCaprio, but not with De Niro and DiCaprio. Because I know De Niro and DiCaprio were previously on screen together in This Boy's Life, mm-hmm. which is quite a long time ago. I'm no, not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure whether De Niro and DiCaprio have been on the screen since then, apart from some advert that Scorsese did with them. So I'm actually going to say. This is actually the first time all three of them, The Killers of the Flower Moon, 
So it's twice they've been. Oh, uh, what was the other one? Yeah. So first one was the audition. Oh no, that's then... that's the ad. That's the advert. Oh, okay. Is it? Yeah, mm. it, it was basic and it. I thought I hadn't seen it before. <laughs> yeah, no, I hadn't seen it before, and I because I looked at it and yeah, I can't remember. It was for some luxury brand, and Scorsese decided to make it almost into a little mini feature. Well, then if it's an advert, then no, then you're right. It's only one full length feature. Okay, movie. okay, good. So let's go with that. I'll give you that. Uh, but yeah, Leo uh, and Martin. Leo and Martin have done Gangs of New York, The Aviator, Departed, Shutter Island, and The Wolf of Wall Street. And then obviously they went on to do the audition and, and The Killers of the Flower Moon. But De Niro and DiCaprio, you're right with uh, this is this boy's life. They were in that together. But also Marvin's Room is another one that they were in together. That's you know, right. Ninety six. Yeah. So good twenty odd years together. Uh, but obviously De Niro and Scorsese have known each other for much longer. What was the first Scorsese film that Robert De Niro starred in? Oh, man. <laughs> the first Scorsese film. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to give an answer yet, but so I'm thinking Mean Streets is definitely one of the early ones. I can't remember whether he directed Raging Bull, and even if he did direct Raging Bull and Mean Streets, I can't remember which came first. Oh, man, did he direct Raging Bull? Or did he not? It was so embarrassing if he did. I'm going to say Mean Streets. No, 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 no. Oh, I've said you were correct. So that's fine. Oh, do you know what I completely forgot about? Taxi Driver. Yeah, but I've I've said Mean Streets. Okay, so I've got it right. Fine, fine, fine. (laughs) Yeah. I had a panic there (laughs) because as you were saying it, I thought, oh my God, Taxi Driver. Anyway, okay, good, good, good. Okay, that's that's two down. That's good. In 1969 to 1980s, Scorsese had directed 16 films. Who had he starred with the most? Was it Robert De Niro, Harvey Keitel or Joe Pesci? Well, only for the fact that I know De Niro was in Raging Bull, Taxi Driver and Mean Streets. which were Raging all the... Bull was in 1980, so exclude that one. Oh, okay. So that's two films I know they were in together. I mean, Streets had Harvey Keitel in. I don't know if it was, I don't know if Raging Bull. I, I, I got a suspicion this could be a bit of a curveball and it could be Harvey Keitel, but I'm going to say De Niro. It's Harvey Keitel. Oh, Keitel. Yeah. Five. Five of them. Um, I didn't realise that they, you know, we've been in so many films. So who's that knocking at my door? Street Scenes is another one, which is, I think he played himself. Uh, mean Streets, uh, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore and Taxi Driver. And then Robert De Niro was in Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, and New York, New York. Joe Pesci was first film with him was in Raging Bull in 1980, but that falls out of the category anyway. Okay. So Harvey Keitel five, Robert De Niro three. Okay. There you go. Gosh, sorry, this is so complex, isn't it? Um, so you've got two out of three so far. Robert De Niro's first comedy role was in what? Man, these are tough. I'll give you a choice. Was it okay? Meet the Parents with Ben yeah. Stiller? Was it Analyze This with Billy Crystal? Or was it Showtime with Eddie Murphy? Oh, man. I think it was Meet the Parents. No. Analyze that- This Analyze with Billy this? Crystal. No. Yeah. In 1999. However, they were pretty much back to back. Meet the Parents was literally the year later. And then um, two years later after that, it was showtime. So so that's three out of, no, two out of four. Two out, no, three of, four. out, two out of four. Yeah. Um, next one. How many films has Leonardo DiCaprio performed with Kate Winslet? Uh, 
Okay, so obviously we've got Titanic, we've got Revolutionary Road. Wasn't there another one? Was there another one? Oh, God. I'll let you have it. It's those two. Oh, well done. Thanks. Got yeah. three. No, I, do you know what? I always get confused with... Um, I got confused. I thought Kate Winslet might have been in this one. And I thought Michelle Williams was in Revolutionary Road for some reason. Anyway, I got very confused when I watched Shutter Island. Michelle Williams is the kind of actor you can imagine was in a film like Revolutionary, Revolutionary Road. Because she, she's yeah. always in those kind of dramas, isn't she? They often the biopic dramas or just or just really good dramas. 50s, because she's done Marilyn Monroe, hasn't she, before? It's almost like the 50s, 60s housewife she yeah. can portray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite well. I, reckon, I reckon whenever a director is after someone needed for that era yeah. she must be towards the top of the list yeah shall we go on to shutter island do the oldie let's, first let's do it okay so yeah we should remind people that we're reviewing shutter island this week and the new release killers of the flaming hence yeah. all the scorsese DiCaprio, de niro yeah, talk of course. so this is this is a psychological thriller directed by scorsese of course and based on dennis lahane's novel of the same name also um co-written by Lahane and Lieta Calangridis, starring DiCaprio, Ben Kingsley, Mark Ruffalo, Emily Mortimer, and Michelle Williams, as we were just talking about. So we have two US Marshals, Teddy Daniels, played by DiCaprio, and Chuck, all played by Ruffalo. It's set in 1954 as they arrive at a very, very bleak and very windswept remote island called Shutter Island, which is home to a mental institution. And they are there to investigate the disappearance of one of the patients, Rachel Salando. As the investigation unfolds, Teddy and Chuck find a very, very eerie world within the institution. Nothing really quite seems right from the off. Lots of strange stares from inmates or people who are housed at the institution. Just lots of suspicion, lots of strange things. And the whole line between sanity and madness is very blurred. But all of their inquiries face resistance from the staff. The institution is led by Dr. Corley, played by Ben Kingsley. And slowly, the two of them begin to uncover pretty disturbing secrets about this facility where effectively the patients are all seem like guinea pigs they're almost almost existing like zombies teddy as it happens isn't a straightforward character himself he's certainly not whiter than white he's had a pretty troubled past he has regular kind of flashbacks almost hallucinations at times about the death of his wife um, and his time as a soldier discovering a Nazi concentration camp. He gets headaches. I think he used to drink a lot. He's a bit of a drinker and he he sweats a lot. He doesn't actually look in good condition, does Teddy, really, from the off. But he's the vet US Marshal and uh, Chuck is the rookie. And we're led to believe by Teddy that he, he actually took this case deliberately because although they're there to investigate this Rachel Salando disappearance, he's had this suspicion about what's been happening here. And he also knows of someone who's been held at this particular institution that he has a connection with as well. So there's a there's a bit of background there, a bit of history. But like I say, he's not in great condition. And whilst he arrives very much with his kind of wits about him and very wary 
of any of the staff. He does become increasingly paranoid as the film goes on and questioning the motives of the staff. And when his own past uh, is brought into question, he actually starts to wonder whether, you know, he's losing his own sanity and questions his own identity. So the film really just takes you on this very suspenseful journey as Teddy loses grip on reality uh, and, as I say, his own sanity deteriorates, and it, which, which ultimately leads to this quite psychologically twisted climax that challenges the whole perception of, of what's real and what's an illusion. And that's pretty much it. If I say any more, I'll be giving too much away. I've seen this only once before, like most of the films on my list, and it's been quite a long time since I've seen it. Not sure about you, Sarah, but let me know what you think. Yeah, I think I've watched this twice before, or maybe this is the second time, but as I said last time on our podcast, when I watched it with a group of girlfriends um, at Kate's house and um, her husband came back from uh, having drinks after work on his bike and his, he had a bike light and unbeknown to us, he was at the window as we're all watching the film and he just turns this light on with it under his face and lit up and it just freaks us all out basically so <laughs> that's how I remember this film right quite clearly and it, it is very I watched this with my mum this time um at home and it's very eerie very dark lots of twists and turns it's almost like a Hitchcock movie where it's so eerie and tw- twisty and turny in that way but interesting the title of the film according to IMDb is an anagram of truths and lies. Oh, I like that. I like and that. And truths and denial is the other one. So, yeah, it's quite eerie that they've somebody's gone to that effort to try and work that out as well. I have been to Alcatraz before. I know this is not set in Alcatraz. It's actually at Peddock's Island of Boston and at uh, Midfield State Hospital. But it reminded me of Alcatraz tour that I did. Uh, very dark. Um, the cells are very similar. It just reminded me of that. And I, you kind of find out what's going on in almost in like as you watch the film in, in real time, as you see the looks and stares, Teddy's then discovering new things about certain things as well. Cause it's almost like it's in almost in like in real time. No, I know. That you're, you're discovering right. at the same time yeah. as Teddy. Yeah. Um, something's amiss here, you know, you know, something's not quite right. And you start to feel, you know, is this one big operation? And why would they do that for just one person as well, which I found very odd. And especially the closing scene, which I found was very sad as well, because it could have been such a different ending, really. I think Leonardo plays his character incredibly well. I love the fact that Mark Ruffalo, I love Mark Ruffalo. I think he's just such a nice guy, the Incredible Hulk normally, and, and playing Chuck in this. He's just very casually... You know, hey, hey, Chuck. And he apparently got the role from actually writing a fan letter to Martin Scorsese. That's another thing that's in IMDb. Some really great factoids in in there. And I forgot that Ben Kingsley was in this. And as I said, I always get confused with Michelle Williams and, and Kate Winslet. And I, sh- I know I shouldn't, but I did think that Kate Winslet was in this for some reason. I can't really talk too much about plot because I think I would give it away. But certainly my mum said, oh. That was really dark and eerie at the end of it. And she said, I can't believe that happened or whatever. Obviously, it's not a true story. I hope it's not a true story anyway, because it's a bit weird. But so well done. And yeah, I mean, the movie cost 80 million to make. 
It had 40 million after the opening weekend in the US and made 294 million worldwide gross. This was the biggest taking of a Scorsese film ever until it got surpassed by Wolf of Wall Street. And that wouldn't surprise me. The next film that we're reviewing, Killers of the Flower Moon, has probably exceeded that as well. Great actors in this film. Kingsley, Ruffalo, DiCaprio, Williams, for example. We've got five Oscar nominees in this film. And also DiCaprio himself and Kingsley, both having won Oscars. And then for the next film that we're about to review, Killers of the Flower Moon, that's oozing with very famous stars as well. So I can imagine it will do very well at the box office. Before I score it, have you got any more thoughts, uh, Rob, on this film? Yeah, but similar to you, I think. What I liked about it was... Although it was really dark, it was kind of quite fun as well, because like you say, you've got all these kind of slightly unnerving characters. Obviously, you've got the setting, the asylum itself and those who are there. So you've got that kind of madness going on and you've, you've got people losing their minds. There's, there's so much under the surface of this film. And you're absolutely spot on when you say you experience things through Teddy's eyes. You, I mean, everything is through Teddy's mm. eyes. But what I like about it is often in films, whilst you are watching the film from someone's point of view, you're also being given bits of information that mean you're actually slightly ahead of them. You are actually kind of learning things before they do. Whereas I thought this was quite clever because, well, for, for me personally anyway... I do find that you're with DiCaprio the whole way. You know, mm. you, you kind of believe what he believes as and when it's happening. And as his slide into kind of starting to question what's real and what's not, you know, once he gets into that grey area, you're, you're kind of the same. You're almost like, well, it could be that, but it could be this. You know what I mean? And, and, and I really like that all the way along, even at the end of it, you could argue he ends up in the position he ends up for one of two reasons. And that's why I like it. It's deliberately meant to kind of make you think it could be one of two things. But uh, but I just liked the concept was very nice, but I think they nailed it in so much as you just go on the ride and it's just far more enjoyable for the fact that everything's through him. When I was watching it, my in fact, I was chatting to to my brother about this and he said I, he remembers when he saw it and he, and he didn't like it because he thought it was really quite hammy. And in actual fact, on reflection, I think what he means by hammy, when he's right, it at times feels quite over dramatic. Like the mm. some of the acting feels a bit overacted and some of the way in which Scorsese presents the whole atmosphere. The storm is a completely over-the-top storm. The, yeah, the yeah. rain is crazy. The thunder. And you're it's like a bit smarple almost, well, isn't it? <laughs> no, but you, you, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It, it's yeah. like Hitchcock. It is very yeah. light. And it's like, oh, actually, in fact, well, if you look at it from that point of view, it does feel like a bit of a homage to those types of film. And if you look at it from that from that angle, then you almost see it in a different light. Like Scorsese mm. is actually just, he loved those films of the past maybe so much. This is his way of presenting that. It's almost like it could have been in black and white. Yes. They could have, they could have filmed yes. it in black and white and it would have still been modern, but also with a nod to the old movies, older movies. Yeah. So, and in so, an actual yeah. fact, because I've always had this issue with DiCaprio that as he's progressed through his career, right from the start, you know, right from Titanic onwards, I always felt that he was in some films where I can't really believe his characters because he looks younger than than the age of the characters he's playing. Like Catch Me If You Can, The Aviator, The Great Gatsby, whatever. 
And so I've always struggled sometimes to get completely on board with some of his films for that reason. Shutter Island actually was one of those. And, you know, he, in this film, at the time of, of the release, DiCaprio was about 35. Now, Ruffalo, who's supposed to be the rookie, he's about 42 at this at this point yeah, in, right. in his career. And so it kind of fits into that whole thing of like, oh, he, do, he does seem quite young. However, and this isn't to spoil anything, the way the film unfolds potentially addresses that question. <laughs> yes, and, no, I think so, yeah. And and also, because it's quite Hitchcockian, then thinking about DiCaprio's performance, because it is, I think, quite overacted, maybe it's deliberate and it fits and it's all good. So I came away from this film with a, actually a, a new appreciation for it and... Yeah, yeah, I, I, I really liked it. Like you say, it just has that, you're absolutely right. It could be black and white. And if you watch it knowing that potentially made because of a love of, of those types of film from the past, I think maybe you'll get the most out of it. It's definitely a lot of fun. It's definitely Yeah, definitely. Fun. Yeah, yeah. It's like a who done yeah. it in, in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to give it, I've been toying between eight and a half or nine out of 10 I'm going to go with nine out of 10 because I, I quite happily watch it again today I think you capture different pieces of it each time you watch it I like the suspense and and drama about it and it, yeah it is a thriller as well but um yeah I really enjoyed it okay I'm going to give it eight and a half out of ten mm-hmm. solid score very good I've got one question for you and this is not a spoiler if I ask it in this way but I want to know your response do you think Teddy yeah. is sane or insane? Sane. I love that answer. Right. Okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, that's what's yeah. great about the film, right? That's what's great about the film. And what do you think? I agree. But there's there's a massive argument. Oh, the right. Is there? What do you not mm. think? Do you not think there's a you could see well, it from either way? I, let our listeners watch it yeah, and make okay. their own decision. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So on to Killers of the Flower Moon again with directed by Scorsese. It's out of cinemas right now. It's rated 15 and it's a whopping three hours, 26 minutes long. And I was quite proud of myself. I stayed and sat through the whole thing. Uh, as well it's um based on a true story of when in the 1920s when the indians or osage tribe discover oil on their land and become the richest people in oklahoma however the osage people start to marry and they're marrying white people and these white people are potentially some of them are quite greedy and we see mostly white men killing their osage people wife to take their money or claim their inheritance which i found absolutely shocking to be honest and it's this is based on a true story as i've mentioned already so we follow molly played by lily gladstone who you may recognize from billions Uh, she has three sisters and a mother all with lots and lots of money from this oil investment and a big family that surrounds her. There's also a longtime family friend called William Hale, who Robert De Niro plays. He's like an uncle to them and was very close to their father. And his nephew comes to stay with him. And his name's Ernest, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. And Ernest is literally just come back from either World War One or it's he's come from the army. He's a bit of a bragger. He loves money as well. He actually says he loves money in the film. 
and mixes with some unwell-to-do people and ends up robbing the Osage people, gambling it away. And William Hale, uh, Robert De Niro, plants a seed in Ernest's head. If he was to marry someone from the Osage tribe, he would be rich. And even though his uncle was rich anyway, he kind of went with this plot. So he is a taxi driver. Ernest is a taxi driver, drives Molly around. He sweet talks her. She knows he's he's after her money. She actually calls him coyote in her own language to her sisters. And then they fall in love. And I generally think they actually did fall in love as well. However, she is too trusting. And as she watches her sisters and her first love all get killed one by one, but there's no investigation. It looks like suicide or accidental death or something like that. So it's all unexplained and she knows there's something afoot. So she hires a detective and unfortunately something comes to him. And then she goes to Washington with her tribe to plead with the government under Eisenhower to investigate what's going on and why all these murders are happening. So about the last third of the movie, we then have the Bureau of Investigation come to Osage and it's led by Tom White, who's played by Jesse Plimmons. And you start seeing the, you know, turning into more of a detective scenario and then a court case after that as well. So there's lots of parts to this movie and that's probably why it's so long. And again, I think a bit like Shutter Island, you're kind of following what's going on with Molly and Ernest and almost like in their own eyes as well. I love the fact that there's so many other actors that pop up up into this. There's John Lithgow, Brendan Fraser appears in this. Quite a big Brendan Fraser as well. I'm wondering if it's off the back of his Oscar winning movie. And they appear as judges or investigators as well. But yeah, I sat through the whole thing. I was engaged by it. I was a little bit uncomfortable after a while and I got a bit tired, but I'd love to get your thoughts, Rob. Well, I think the first thing to say is when I went to this film, I think we talked about it three and a half hours long, pretty much. And as you say... I was a little concerned whether, you know, knowing it's a Scorsese film. And the thing about Scorsese films is you kind of know what you're going to get in so much as you know you're going to get, like, solid acting. You know you're going to get solid directing. You know, it's almost like you know the film's kind of not going to be bad, like, technically, in any way at all. But they always tend to be quite intense, quite dialogue-heavy, and three and a half hours, but I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't leave the uh, cinema once either, like not even go to the toilet, you, which is unbelievable for me. I, I don't really actually just realise that now, that I didn't even leave to go to the toilet, which is, I think it's pretty incredible, three and a half hours. And I personally didn't feel like it was three and a half hours. Uh, had that said, I'm not, um, I, I could easily see this... <laughs> almost like a three-part miniseries as well. But I I wasn't put off at all by, by the running time. The most fascinating part of the film for me was the fact that it was about a period of history which I, I knew nothing about. Um, and although this particular story, the, you know, the Osage, the Osage murders, the Osage murders, because obviously, like you say, it's based on a true story. It has featured in two films before, um, in 1926, and also a film called The FBI Story in 1959, much before our time. And and I think in our generation, movies we've seen about Native Indians and the treatment of them has always been quite similar. 
that the Indians have been the persecuted as they have been. What I found fascinating about this right from the off is it presented a, a period of history, well, like you say, when all's discovered on their land. And I think they do play in elements of newsreel, unless, unless it's also acted. But I just thought it was fascinating that we're presented with this community whereby the, the most affluent are the Osage tribe. They're the ones with the fancy clothes. They're the ones with the fancy houses and maids. They're the ones driving around in the cars. And, you know, aside from De Niro's character, who's quite a well-to-do white guy in the, in the community, most of them feel like they're almost there employed by the Osage Indians to a degree. And, and I just thought that right from the start, I thought, oh, this is interesting. I, I, just, I just found that dynamic, something you haven't really seen before. Now, the way in which Ernest and his uncle, brothers, uh, et cetera, et cetera, start to, if you like, infiltrate, as you say, the bloodline of this um, particular family is really pretty brutally dark. It's like all Scorsese films. He loves to kind of almost reversion American history. He likes to dwell on parts of history that are dubious. He loves these characters that play around in the gray areas. And, you know, and that you, know, you get you get the same here. I thought it was interesting that DiCaprio's character, Ernest, he was a bit of a pawn, really, in the whole game, in so much as you've got his uncle, William Hale, like you say, Ernest comes back from war and immediately as he sat down with William Hale, he immediately tells him, you know, effectively, right, this is this is the plan. You're either on board or you're out. Now, because Ernest is quite a simple, he's not particularly switched on like uh, William Hale is or even I think his brothers are, but he's charming and he's willing. And I think the fact that he's effectively being used he knows he's doing bad, but equally, the way in which the film plays out, you do genuinely believe that there is some love between Ernest and Molly. And although I agree, the kind of marriage, you could argue, you know, there's ulterior motives there. I think those ulterior motives largely come from his uncle and he's just really caught up in it. And, be, and it's almost like he goes along with the plan because he's a he kind of needs to. He's, he's got nothing else to do. It's his only way to money. It, it, like you say, he can't resist doing some dodgy stuff on the side. But ultimately, beneath all of that, his heart's kind of in the right place. There is love there. But before you know it, he's in the depths of it. He, it's, it's almost like he, he's taken this whole charade so far that he's stuck in it and just thought it was quite interesting from that point of view that it's not like Ernest right from the start was not a nice guy it just wasn't quite switched on enough and he was a little bit flawed and his uncle used him and before you know it he's embroiled in it so much that then half the film is really about his conscience and half of the film is really about does he admit to it? Does he not admit to it? Does he be honest? Does he not be honest? And really, that that's what the film plays with for most of it, is it? It's like, is this guy going to actually redeem himself throughout the whole time? Even when his uncle is imprisoned, along with himself, even then, his uncle's trying to pull the strings. You know, you're almost rooting for Ernest to go, no, just be honest. Come on. like. And so I liked it from that point of view. I found them um, quite funny because Robert De Niro was almost like his his character in, in Meet the Parents because it was like, yep, yeah, 
I've done that and and you must do it. That is very sort of matter of fact and yeah. <laughs> I think he played this character really, really. It wouldn't surprise me if he, no. if he gets a, an Oscar for his performance, best supporting actor, De Niro. But yeah, I felt, I felt he was almost. He never apologised. He never looked angry. Just sort of very simply was. Well, he's kind of like he's like a quiet assassin in a weird way. Like you know what I mean. Like he's just great at never getting agitated. Has oodles of charm, but you can tell beneath it when he tells you something, he means it. And don't you dare answer back because you know just beneath that, he's an absolute <laughs> tyrant. And and DiCaprio hasn't really got the balls to challenge him for much of the film. The same kind of, I don't know, type of actors come up in Scorsese's films all the time, but that doesn't necessarily make them any less interesting. Like when Plemons comes along, Jesse Plemons is the FBI. I thought it's great. I love Jesse Plemons. He's great. And it's just like, we've seen him do this kind of role so often, but yeah, it's still, yeah. he's still good. He's still good in it. Um, I think Lily Gladstone's fantastic in it. I'm glad that her character remains morally stable let's just say yeah, throughout the whole I think film so. i think yeah. if it had gone the other way i think it would have been a bit flawed she's the strongest character actually yeah. she's the very smart but and you... she's smart but at the same time she's not why did she marry this guy when she calls him coyote i know but it's almost like you can tell like you say right from the off she's way smarter than Ernest. But she knows mm. it. Ernest, I mm. think, knows it. It's almost like she just gives into his charm. It's just the charm, yeah. isn't it? It's just yeah. this like rogue character is enough to kind of lure her in. But even then, you still feel like she's with it. And of course, part of this film is the lengths that Ernest goes to, his husband, to ensure that they quieten anyone that suspects what is going on. And that includes Molly. So they're... Yeah. And a lot of the Osage tribe had diabetes issues, as does Molly. And so whilst she is being treated with insulin, presented in the film, had only just really come about, very expensive. Obviously, they could afford it. But even then, whilst you think she's getting the correct dose of insulin, of course, she's not. And it's bizarre. Even then, whilst Ernest is knowing what he's doing, you also know that he kind of loves her as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite, it's, it's quite sad, really. It's very sad, very sad. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's he, he played his role very, very well. I don't know about you, but his teeth really annoyed me at the start because I knew it wasn't his normal teeth. I totally, and it agree. just like changed his face, totally his mouth completely, yeah. and it's just it's like. like- it's like he's stolen Marlon Brando's gurning type face from The Godfather. <laughs> and you're right, he's got those yellow teeth. And those two things combined, actually, got to be honest, put me off a little bit. It's like, oh, God, mm. it's DiCaprio in a Scorsese film trying to come up with a actorly character. Yeah. But eventually I kind of saw past that because I was actually a bit worried it was going to annoy me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I don't think I'd want to watch it again for a while, <laughs> to be honest. And I've been debating again for myself. It's just so greedy and deceitful, wasn't it, really? The ending was really well done. I love the way they closed out this film in the old-fashioned news story way on the radio, sharing how you know certain characters ended up, basically. I thought that was really clever, where ending the film, instead of just having text up on the screen, this is what happened to, to Molly and this is what happened to Ernest. Um, instead, they did it as a, as a radio show. What are you going to give it then, Rob? Well, do you know what? 
I, I don't like to, when I see these kind of films, especially those that are very critically acclaimed, I sometimes, I like to wait a while before I kind of, so I can kind of reflect on it. And there's so much that's good about it. But the types of films Scorsese makes, I almost feel like he himself is almost becoming a bit of a relic in so much as the films he's making are great films, but they're, I, I don't think they're for a huge audience because I think when you've got directors like, Christopher Nolan and Denis Villeneuve and and others that are managing to make quite complex films into blockbusters. I almost feel like, especially with Scorsese's opinions, obviously about Marvel and like, you know, they're not films and his age. There's one school of thought to say that he's almost a little bit outdated himself. And whilst there are Scorsese fans and purists of film that will, that will love this. And to a degree, I'm a little bit like that. I think there's lots of people that probably might just find it a bit baggy and long and maybe a little bit boring, which I think is perfectly justified. But on reflection, I kind of think it is still great that films like this are being made. And it's easy to nitpick at Scorsese, especially when he's got his little kind of merry men around him all the time, his familiar casts, is the same types of things he's interested in. You know, once he passes and goes, it will be a little bit sad because, you know, he's got a hell of a catalogue of films. Uh, and this is, you know, this is definitely right up there. So I, I'm going to give it eight and a half, which is, you know, which is still a really, really good score. But I suppose it's one of those films I watch. I appreciate it. The acting's fantastic. I don't necessarily feel as engaged as I think I should be to give it anything more than eight and a half. Okay. If any of that makes sense. Yeah, no, I'm going to give it the same, actually. I'll share why I'm going to give it that as well. But just to go back to what I said earlier for Shutter Island, this actually took less than Shutter Island opening weekend, and I thought it would take more. 23 million instead of 40 million, which Shutter Island took. But it was like 200 million to make, which is like double the budget that Shutter Island has. So completely different ballpark there. I think what people have been put off is, is the length. The film, I invited quite a few friends. They didn't want to go because it was too long. And it is, it's quite heavy. Heavy, yeah, it's a heavy movie. Yeah, I think I asked myself, would I want to watch this again? I don't think I want to watch this for a long, long time. But I think on occasions it's, it's quite clever as well. So I was kind of slightly comparing it to Shutter Island a little bit. And I think I, would, I prefer Shutter Island to this movie. And I know it could sweep the Oscars for all we know, but like everything everywhere all at once but for me i don't think it's as good as as the critics say i think eight and a half is still a very good score but not as good and as engaging as as i think some of the other movie scorsese movies that he's done i agree and in actual fact whilst i mentioned like scorsese always making the same types of films one film that does stand out is the wolf of wall street that for me well that was a scorsese film i hadn't had something about it that i think connected with a lot of modern audiences much more so than this type of film, which I think is more typical of the films he makes. So I think it's probably probably fair to say that. There Uh, we go. Very good um, films, but interesting to compare that. We've not done that before, I think, comparing director movies and and those that have starred in in both of those as well. So it's quite nice to, to, to do that. So on to the new movie for this week. And the new movie is going to be a film called The Killer, which is a David Fincher film. It doesn't actually make that many films these days, so it's quite exciting that he's come out with a new film. It's starring Michael Fassbender. It is an action-adventure crime film. It's 15 rated. 
and it's due to air on Netflix on November the 10th. And I think that's why we thought it'd be a nice one to pick. There's not loads of great films in the cinema and it's always nice when there's something on Netflix, on streaming, on demand. And yeah, we thought this would be a good one. Uh, Here's the blurb. So after a fateful near miss, an assassin battles his employers and himself on an international manhunt he insists isn't personal. So not a lot to go on there, but Fassbender, Fincher, assassination film. It should be, it should be all right. I love an assassination mission. Good. So, and for the oldie, you're picking from one of mine. That's right. That's right. So the only genres that have been taken so far on the current cycle are adventure, drama, comedy, sci-fi, and thriller, horror. So I'm going to go with fantasy. Fantasy is always a tricky one, isn't it? I know, it? when it kind of veers into a bit of, sometimes mm. it veers into other genres, doesn't it? I have five. You've only got five fantasies? Okay, <laughs> all right. <clears throat> yeah. um, I'm going to go for number three. Number three is Field of Dreams. Oh! With, Kevin, with the Kev, <laughs> the Costner, uh, in 1989. That's great. You say Field of Dreams, right? It's like this is his purple patch, isn't it? He reeled mm-hmm. off so many hits in that in this kind of period. Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, Robin Hood. I'm sure there's others. He was the man, wasn't he? Obviously, Dances of the Walls. Do you know what? I actually gave his TV series Yellowstone a go. Oh, because, yeah. Because I do like the Kev. <laughs> and... Yeah, it's it's good. It's good fun. It's good fun. It's not as great as his as his movies, I would say, but it's it's pretty good. Um, okay, so Field of Dreams. I mean, you could argue it's a it's a baseball film, but it's certainly not. I don't need to be interested in baseball whatsoever. So, this stars Kevin Costner and James Earl Jones, uh, and also not just James Earl Jones. We've got Ray Liotta. Uh, mm-hmm. In this movie as well, so we have Iowa Farmer. Ray Kinsella is inspired by a voice he can't ignore to pursue a dream he can hardly believe. Supported by his wife, Ray begins the quest by turning his ordinary cornfield into a place where dreams can come true. So much so that even in the blurb, there's absolutely no mention of baseball. So there you go. <laughs> and you and you can rent a buy at the moment off Amazon Prime and also Apple tv unfortunately I, I can't see it streaming but do check out your on-demand platforms as it may be streaming on sky or something like that um so just look out for that uh great. so all good yeah great great films absolutely to that something a bit different as well the, the first one and we also don't have to sit through hours and hours of scorsese stuff this week yeah i've got a bad back so that's why i was in agony by the end of the film Oh, what, um, by, the I, end, I, by the end of the yeah, Plan uh, yeah, I was. I, oh, I usually no. find the seats very comfortable at our local cinema, but um, I was, you know, three and probably four, three hours, 45 minutes of sitting in that chair. My back was starting to really hurt. So I was like constantly rubbing it. So and like, it, I think it was in, it was in, I think it was also in the same cinema where it was just me and that old man that <laughs> sat there watching. Do you, do, you still phones think, and all. do you still think about that? Yeah, I do, because I had a man, a very elderly man, sat just <laughs> just sat uh, a, not a sweet seat away from me. There was a I'm gap a... between us, and I was just like, oh. 
I'm you're sat gonna... in the same seat you were sat in last time, I. So maybe you didn't pass away after all, which is good. Oh, that film, Bones and All, is is slowly achieving le- legendary status in, in in the scars it's left. <laughs> it certainly has, yeah, yeah. And that the dive, I think, as well, after um... seeing some strange person come in and halfway through. <laughs> Good <laughs> oh god yeah anyway i was on my own i watched that i watched uh, the killers in the moon uh, of the flower moon on my own as well but there was quite a lot i would say more elderly people i felt quite yeah. young <laughs> no that's what but, that, but that's what i mean going back to going back to the kind of audience he's able yeah. to you know attract and get bums on seats i don't think it's the same audience that would go and see an oppenheimer even or mm. a, you know, the creator or a, or i don't know or a june or or these big kind of you know blockbusters apart from that... bones and all <laughs> apart from bones and all exactly <laughs> he must have been there he must have been there somewhere he did leave the the guy left halfway through the film that's cuz he needed so... to go and have a feed he needed some blood <laughs> Probably. I don't know. You sure it wasn't uh, Mark Rylance's character? I don't know. It wasn't. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm deeply scarred by Bones and all. Oh, anyway. dear. Actually, what I was pleasantly surprised by, there was very little scary movies on before this film. They were all sort of comedies or nice yeah. films. Whereas in the past, when I've been to the cinema, there's, there's like the nun or yeah. something really horrendously scary that I have to that I have to look down and I can't exactly. watch it. Exactly. Well, I, I actually, and and Killer of the Flower Moon did put me off my my um my my cheesy nachos at one point as well. Well, there's your review boring. right there. Yeah, it was the brain bit that disturbed me. So oh, I know. There's some. Yeah, well, let's not go back to it. But that's yeah. that I'm about to go and have my dinner. Exceptionally now I've got this vivid gory memory. scene. <laughs> you're quite, you're quite. I remember you saying that you're quite visual with your mind. I'm very visual as well. It's almost like it's photographic memory, but but not. <laughs> but yeah, I can remember that very distinctly. Uh, do you know what? I think I've managed to put that out of my memory. And so you sorry, just now it's back it. in. Slotted that, that was that in. that actually was a part of the film where I genuinely winced and kind of looked away. I didn't like that bit at yeah. all. I In actually, fact, I felt awkward eating my cheesy nachos when yeah, there's funerals and, and that, things like, like that. It's <laughs> like, should I not, be eating now? Is that disrespectful? Or... <laughs> yeah. And whilst we're not going to talk about it, like Molly's just standing there. Yeah. Anyway, it all makes sense when people watch it. I I, I thought that that scene was <laughs> just bang out of order, quite frankly. <laughs> On that note, I'm going okay. to get my tea. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, trying to time to defrost the bolognese nice, and get some spaghetti on. A nice Chianti and some fava beans. <laughs> Is that what you're having? <laughs> you're having a Chianti right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, yeah. Right, all right. Well, look, have a lovely evening, and we will see everybody again in a couple of weeks' time. Well, we won't see them; we'll hear them. You'll hear us. You'll hear us <laughs> in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> We're not a radio show, we're not a TV show, we're simply a DIY podcast. There you go, so polished. Thanks for listening. (laughs) All right, see you next time. That's all, folks. (laughs) Bye. Yeah, bye.